the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're back in the book of Galatians today, taking a look at chapter 1 and the authority of the gospel, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. live in a culture that has been conditioned to question authority. That was huge in the 60s and 70s, and the fruit of all that is here today with us. But you see, it's authority that we need, authority we desperately need, and as we'll see today, specifically the authority of the gospel. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're continuing our look at Galatians chapter 1 today. We would invite you to join us there as we continue with our mini-series called The Authority of the Gospel. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program. God has compassion on whom he will have compassion, and God hardens who he will. He doesn't owe his favor to anyone. All he owes us is condemnation. And God alone determines upon whom he shall show his favor and upon whom he will not. It is sovereign grace. The old story of Israel in Egypt. Israel was in Egypt and Israel had some faithful people. But many of the Israelites had adopted Egyptian lifestyles and Egyptian sins. And Israel was not worthy of being liberated from bondage. But God steps into the picture. And you know the story of how he destroyed the Egyptian culture by means of plagues in order to deliver Israel from Egypt and then parting the Red Sea so that Israel could pass through on dry land. And then when Pharaoh and his army came to attack the Israelites, they were drowned, all of them. Now, why did God save Israel and destroy Egypt? They're both sinful Well, the only answer the Bible gives us time and again in the book of Exodus is, I put a difference between Israel and Egypt. And the difference was sovereign grace. God says, I chose before the beginning of time to save Israel in spite of their sins and destroy Egypt because of hers. Grace is sovereign grace. Well, what is peace? The gospel is a gospel of God's grace and God's peace. Peace is that which Jesus establishes between his people and the living God. We have been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. We were at once at war with him. But now Christ has established peace. As a result, we are friends with God and we enjoy the peace of God in our lives. The word peace is in Hebrew is shalom and means the restoration of total health. 
the restoration of God's order on earth so that peace in the fullest sense of the word doesn't simply mean a calmness of spirit because it's not just a subjective thing. The Bible says peace on earth towards men upon whom God's pleasure rests and peace is a comprehensive prosperity and total spiritual health in every aspect of a person's life. By God's grace, he gives sinners peace. In Christ, God provides us with everything that he knows is necessary for us spiritually, physically, and emotionally. He pours out his riches on us and shows himself abundantly generous to us that we may ever praise him for his goodness and grace. And all of this is ours by God's sovereign grace alone. Peace is the restoration of friendly relationships with God in Christ that result in the restoration of spiritual health and God's order in all aspects of life. I'd like you to know Paul's emphasis in this letter and every other epistle he wrote when he says grace and peace. He never says peace and grace. Grace always precedes peace. Not once does he ever say peace and grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the fundamental emphasis of the gospel, beloved, that no one else but pure Protestantism has ever defended. What is it the Judaizers believed? They believed that peace comes before grace. That is, if you want God to have mercy on you, and you want to be in God's favor, then in some measure or another, you've got to get your life back in order. You've got to restore your life to God's order, some way or another, some measure, if God is going to look upon you with favor. To some measure, you must meet his requirements if you expect God to be merciful to you. In other words, salvation must be earned. If you're going to have God's favor, you must bring, you must bring peace into your life to some measure, because anyone that lives a hectic, rebellious life is obviously not going to receive the grace of God. So you must win it. Show that you are worthy of it. Do enough right things to earn it, they say. Paul says, no, that is all a lie. It is grace before peace. You're not going to bring your life into order in any measure to any extent. Your life is just going to get worse and worse and worse until God steps in by his grace and brings you into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never have peace without grace first. And understand, beloved, in missing this point about grace, in missing the point of what the gospel is, a gospel of sovereign grace before peace, is not that you might not be right theologically with the right group throughout history. In other words, for many people, this is just a theological debate. And if you are a Christian and you don't believe it or you can believe it, oh, it doesn't matter. The main thing is that you're a Christian. 
So let's not get huffy about the minute details of saying that the only gospel that saves is a gospel of sovereign grace that proceeds and gives peace. Let's just let it be general. Who cares whether grace proceeds? Who cares if it is sovereign? Let's just talk about grace and peace. Listen, beloved. If you take sovereign out of grace, if you in the smallest measure think that peace has to come before grace, you have perverted the gospel and you have separated yourself from Christ. You want a text? Turn to Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. Galatians 5 verse 4. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. That is, if you believe peace comes before grace, you've got to earn it. It is something that you have to earn. It is not sovereign grace. You have fallen from grace. Fallen from grace in your doctrine in your understanding of the gospel, in what you are telling people about how to be saved, in saying you are saved by the law and in some measure earning salvation. You have fallen from a gospel of grace. And in falling from a gospel of grace, you have been severed, it says, from Christ. The gospel of Arminianism, which is what this is, severs you from the gospel of and Christ. Who was Arminius, which is where we get the name Arminianism? Well, Arminius has, was his Latin name. He, he, he wanted a fancy-sounding name, so he changed it. His real name was Jacob Harmonson, and he lived in the last part of the 1500s. And he told everyone that he was a true Protestant, And he told everyone that he confessed to all the Protestant creeds and believed all the things the great Protestants believed of that day, particularly the Reformed Protestants, including the Dutch, who were thoroughly Reformed and who had shed their blood in defense of the Reformed faith. So he had to take vows to these creeds and profess it in public, but in private To his students, he would teach them otherwise. And he would ridicule the great reformers and their doctrines and creeds. So the churches would always try to get him to come to presbytery meetings and general assembly meetings to defend his doctrine. But he would never attend. He always found some excuse never to be there. Until finally, the entire Protestant church called him to account at a meeting to defend his doctrinal beliefs. When, well, when he realized there was no way out, he was so shaken that he had a heart attack, which he later died of. So he had to send some of his young representatives called remonstrants to the Synod of Dort in 1618, where there were Protestant preachers from all over the world. It was a real international Protestant council. The whole 
the only people from reformed uh, Europe who were not there were the French Calvinists. And that's because they were going through severe persecution by their king, and the king wouldn't let them leave France. Everyone else was there, including a bishop from Great Britain. These young men came to defend Arminianism. That is the doctrine of Jacob Arminius. And unanimously, the entire Reformed Protestant world condemned the teaching of Arminius as heresy and expelled him from the ministry as long with every preacher in Holland who believed it. Condemned by the whole Protestant church because his ideas took away glory from God because it compromised the gospel of sovereign grace. It compromised the principle that grace is primary and must always act first before man can act. You see, Arminius, and this is an oversimplification said, in essence, man has got to act first. God can encourage him a little bit, but before God can do anything for him, man has got to let him that all men have the ability to believe him any time they want to. Any time man takes a notion to it, he can believe. Uh, maybe with a little nudge from God. But he can produce that faith by himself. So he gets to take most of the credit for it. Grace is then not a sovereign grace. Arminius said, God does not determine whom he will have mercy upon and whom he will not. The decision is left in the hands of man. Therefore, beloved, God's glory is compromised. The glory of the God who will not share his glory, he says, with another. <coughs> and the entire Protestant Reformed Church recognized it and condemned it as heresy. And now, beloved, most Protestants... In the English-speaking world are Arminians. It is now what Paul preached that is extreme. It is the old gospel of sovereign grace, and you're bound to be a hyper-Calvinist and extremist if you believe something like sovereign grace. We are the fringe today, my friends. Now, that which was once condemned as heresy by the Protestant church at its purest moment in history, is now received as orthodox with the Protestant churches, now at the lowest time in history. And to take sovereign out of grace and to leave any grounds whatsoever for many to take the smallest measure of credit for any part of his salvation is to fall from the gospel of grace and to be severed from Christ. That doesn't come from me, beloved. We just read it. It's a serious thing to believe the wrong doctrine and the wrong gospel. You can sincerely believe that what you believe is true. It can be false. It doesn't really matter how sincere you are about what you believe if what you believe is dead wrong. And you see, that is why Paul keeps bringing up apostolic authority and apostolic gospel. Because the only gospel that will do you any good is the gospel that is backed by apostolic authority. And he spells out the seven basic ingredients of it here. First of all, it is a gospel of grace and peace. 
Secondly, it is a gospel that originates with God, not man. Notice in verse 3 again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A constant emphasis in the writing of Paul is this supernatural element in the gospel. The gospel is supernatural and that it did not originate with anything in this material world. And that includes angels and anything else. It is totally supernatural with reference to its source, its origin, and its power. It originates with God himself. And notice Paul says that many times here. The authority of the gospel originates with God. He said, I didn't get this from man. I got it from Jesus Christ and God the Father. The grace and peace that God gives us in this gospel originates from God the Father. They don't originate with man. In verse 6, God's glory is the ultimate objective in all the accomplishments of the gospel. So you see, there is this constant emphasis in the writing of the New Testament on the God-centered nature of the one true gospel. It originates with God in the fullest sense of the word. The gospel then rests on God's decision and God's calling, not on man's decision and not what man does. The initiative is with God. Look at verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now, this is how he could have said it if he was a modern-day Protestant. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him whom you decided to follow one day when you went forward in church. No. It is, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting him who called you. You see, time and again, the emphasis on what God does to make you a Christian, not in what you do in response. Now, what you do in response is of tremendous significance. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you're going to go to hell. But you cannot and will not believe or even repent until God has called you with a voice that raises the dead out of darkness into his light. The initiative is all of God all the way down the line. But what do we hear in pulpits today? Still, as if no one has ever criticized them for it. We still hear preachers who look at an audience and a people and say, you take the first step and God will do the rest. You, though, have got to take the initiative. You've got to show some spunk and some interest. Well, that's good Arminianism, but that is lousy Paul. That originated with man, not with God. Besides, how many steps can a dead man take? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Besides that, our text says, the origin of the gospel and its effects are with him. God must take the initiative in order for you to be saved. I heard a great evangelical say one time, as the Bible says... God helps those who help themselves. Well, number one, there's no such verse in the Bible, nor is there even such a thought there. 
we are all sunk. Because a dead man can be of no help to himself whatsoever. But besides that, it puts the initiative with man rather than with the living God. And the great emphasis of the gospel is that it from first to last comes from God, not man. First of all, God determined that there would be a gospel and what that gospel would be and who would be saved by it in eternity before the creation of the world. God took the first step before there was any of us walking around on the planet before there was a planet to walk around on. The initiative was with God. But not only is the initiative with God in eternity past, but also in your own personal experience with God. The initiative is also with Him. It was God who acted in your life, raising you from spiritual death and enabling you to repent and put your faith in Him. It is not that you put your faith in Him and enabled God to act. It is God by a sovereign grace that enabled you to believe and then you believed. So even in your own personal experience, the initiative is with God. Our salvation, every aspect of it, the gospel of Christ and all of its parts originates with God, not us. It depends upon the decision of God, not upon the decisions of humans. I love this quote from Spurgeon. Not one stitch of your salvation garments has been sewn by your hand. You contribute nothing, nothing to your salvation. Not one single aspect of your salvation depends on you or me. God does it all. For of him and through him and to him all are all things. To him be the glory forever. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30 and 31, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Of him by his doing we are in Christ. And we have all of these blessings of salvation because of what he has done, not because of anything that we have done. And Paul and God did it that way so that we will have no basis to boast in ourselves at all, to be proud of ourselves at all, to take any credit to ourselves. But so we would boast in God alone. Salvation is all of God. Consider these four things. The living God planned salvation before the world began. He planned that there would be such a thing, what it would take in order to provide salvation, and who would be saved by that plan of salvation. God then, after having planned salvation before the beginning of time, actually accomplished our salvation historically and really in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ... God in Christ did exactly what he planned before the beginning of time. And it was that accomplishment of salvation that was the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Then what did God do next? Now, I hope you understand. I'm trying to impress you with the fact that God has done it all. God planned it before the beginning of time. God accomplished it all by himself on the cross. That was the significance of the apostles fleeing from him. 
because Jesus was then all alone with no one helping. It was all of God. And then what God do next? He announced the reality and availability of that salvation through Christ's apostles. By his spirit, he told the apostles to tell the world salvation is real. It is here. It's done. And God did all of that by himself. The apostles didn't add one word. They didn't add one thought. The revelation of the announcement of the gospel to us through the apostles is all of God from beginning to end. It is spirit-produced thoughts, in spirit-produced words, and it is God-breathed. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.